Wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'm really honored to be here this morning. Thanks so much for welcoming me back. I was here in June. Um, my name is Stephanie Plotis, and I am a graduate of Penfield High School in 2009 and then Michigan State University in 2013. And after I graduated in May, then I moved to Arizona in August of 2013 to work with Iskashita Refugee Network um, through the United Methodist Church US2 Missionary Program, and that's a two-year social justice program for young adults between the ages of 20 and 30. So, you can go ahead to the next slide. So, the organization I work for is called Iskashita, and Iskashita is a word from the Somali Bantu language of Mai Mai, and it means working cooperatively together. So, our organization was founded um, by our uh, director, Barbara Eisworth, um, in 2003. And she was working with Somali Bantu youth. They were doing a fruit mapping project. And as um, they were mapping where the fruit was in these different neighborhoods in Tucson, they realized that a lot of it was falling to the ground and rotting. So Barbara um, started working full time with the refugees to harvest the fruit from these homeowners. They would go to the door and ask, would you be willing to donate your fruit? And they would always say, yes. So she got a grant from United Way, and they started to do that full-time. And the refugees taught her the word, iskashita, um, meaning working cooperatively together. So that was how our organization was formed. So we can go to the next slide. And um, our mission is to work with the refugees from Africa and Asia and the Middle East and to give them opportunities to use their skills and their talents um, to become successful in the U.S. and to really um, feel like they're a part of our community in Tucson um, and get away from the isolation that they feel after coming to a new country and a new culture. Um, so that's our main goal, working with refugees from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. So you can go to the next slide. So I just wanted to really quickly go over the definition of a refugee. Um, especially true in Tucson, is that we have a lot of different types of immigrants. So issues of um, undocumented immigrants are really big down in Tucson because we're only an hour north of the Mexican border. But refugees are um, pretty different from the immigrants who are coming up from Mexico and from Central America. Um, they're de defined by the United Nations as refugees because they're people who are seeking safety from persecution based on one of these reasons, so race, religion, nationality, membership of a social group, or political opinion. So it's something um, really specific uh, discrimination, really directed persecution. So things that aren't considered um, refugee status would be if you're fleeing from a natural disaster or for economic reasons, because natural disasters and the economy don't um, discriminate. They happen to everyone. Um, but these things are um, much more directed persecution. Um, and the big thing about refugees is that they don't really have a choice. They have to leave their country, because if they stayed, they would probably die or be tortured. So we can go to the next slide. So um, once a refugee has left their country, then there are three durable solutions that the United Nations um, says exist. So the first would be, once they've crossed the border into a new country, they could become integrated into that country. So they could become 
um, full-time citizens and have jobs and raise their families there and um, be a part of life in that second country. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often. Um, a lot of countries, like Kenya, for instance, have refugees coming in from almost every other country that borders them. So their infrastructure just can't handle all of the new people who are coming in there. So instead, the refugees um, end up in camps. So the second and most ideal solution would be for the refugees to go back to their country for the conflict to end and it to be safe and they're um, living at home, um, returning to their normal life. That doesn't happen that often either. Um, and the final solution would be for them to be resettled to a third country. So their second country is the one they fled to, are living in a refugee camp. The third country would be like the US, Canada, and Australia. So we at Iskashid are working with refugees who have fallen under this third solution. And these really are the fortunate refugees because less than 1% of refugees um, get the opportunity to go to a third country. Um, most of them end up staying in the refugee camps. And the average time that a refugee spends in a camp is about 10 years. So it's a pretty long process. We can go to the next slide. So I'm sure you can imagine a lot of the challenges that refugees face, but these are just a few of them. So um, a lot of them have limited or interrupted formal schooling. So if you're fleeing from your country, you're not able to stay in school. Um, one family that I knew had left from Sudan and then went to Libya, but if you're not a Libyan citizen, then it costs money to attend school. Um, so they moved to a few different cities because school was too expensive there. Um, and then when the conflict started happening in Libya, then they actually had to flee Libya too and go to Egypt. Um, and then in the refugee camps, the education often isn't good. And even if there are schools, it, can, it might not be safe for the children to go there, especially for the girls. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder, that's um, pretty obvious, but it's something that can really affect the whole family because even if it's just affecting one member of your family, it might be affecting everyone else in the house's sleep. So it might be hard to go to work, it might be hard to go to school, um, among the other disruptions that that causes. Um, gender violence is a huge one, and a really unfortunate fact, especially in Africa, is that sexual violence and rape are often used as an actual weapon and used to completely demoralize a people. Um, so that's a really unfortunate thing that happens to a lot of women. Um, there's the lack of physical possessions. They've lost pretty much everything that they owned. Um, they have had to leave in the middle of the night. Um, one of our interns is was a lost boy from Sudan, and they were a group of people um, that had to leave in the middle of the night usually and would run without any possessions at all, at, usually at the age of seven or eight, um, and spent several months traveling to escape. Um, so they really were left with nothing. Um, there's health issues. There aren't, isn't very good uh, medical access in the refugee camps. Um, they have some health insurance when they come here, but it doesn't last for very long. Um, and finally, separated families. So if you're fleeing, um, your family might become separated and you might not get a chance to come back together. That family that I mentioned that was in Libya, um, when the conflict started, then the oldest son took the members of his family to a new city while his father stayed in that other city to keep working. Um, so they were separated for a time. And another family we worked really closely with 
from Ethiopia were separated for about 13 years. Um, and the father fled. He was a really prominent musician in Ethiopia, and the politicians wanted him to join their campaign and were threatening him. So he had to flee Ethiopia, spent about 11 years in a refugee camp, came to the US, found out his wife and son were still alive, and had them brought to Tucson as well. So they were reunited after 13 years of being apart. And he hadn't seen his son since he was a baby. He was now taller than him. So a really happy reunion, but a really difficult time of separation. So you can go to the next slide. But the other thing that we really like to emphasize at my organization is that refugees uh, bring a lot of skills and a lot of um, talents to us, too. And we don't want to see them just as victims and just as people who need our pity or our support, but um, to recognize that they have really valuable things to offer our community. And that's why we want to provide those opportunities for them to become a part of the community um, in Tucson and to really not only be recipients, but to give back to their community, too. We can go to the next slide. So. Um, my organization focuses especially on hunger. So when we're harvesting the fruit, then um, something that we're acknowledging is that a lot of refugees don't have the money to buy fruit to place on the table at home, that healthy food. Um, there's not a lot of good nutrition options in the refugee camps. They might receive a few staples every month, like salt and rice and beans, and that might be all that they get. Um, the camps don't provide opportunities for them to do job training, which makes it harder to get a job here that can um, provide them enough money to get nutritious food for their families. Um, food stamps often aren't enough for them to actually bring nutrition into the home and to make up for the, the, the deficiencies that happened while they were in the refugee camps. Um, it can also be really difficult to find culturally appropriate foods, and a lot of the foods in the grocery stores are completely um, unrecognizable to them. So all this food in a box can be a little weird, like why is the food in a box? Is it really food if it's in a box? Um, <laughs> so something that we try to do is provide access to culturally appropriate foods and foods that um, might not be available in the grocery stores. So we've got this list of things that grow in Tucson, but you might not be able to find them in the stores because we don't really recognize them as things that are food. Um, Amaranth, in particular, there was a family that was moving into a new house, and there were some volunteers helping to clean it up. And they came back one day, and there was written on the wall, please don't cut, this is vegetable. And there was amaranth growing there. And most people would recognize it as a weed, but to the family, it was a valuable food resource. Um, so that's one of the things that we try to do. So we can go to the next slide. So. <laughs> Basically, these are our main programs um, at my organization. So we try to develop creative programs that have to do with um, local food and giving refugees um, more control over the foods that they're eating um, and just helping them connect to the different community resources. So if they have a bigger network, then it'll be easier for them to establish self-sufficiency. Um, not just for the refugees, but for the Tucson community, it's a wonderful experience for them to be um, having these cross-cultural experiences, um, meeting people from other backgrounds, and learning about new ways of life and new ways of using foods. We can go to the next slide. 
So we harvest over 75,000 75, pounds of produce annually, um, and that's a huge number. And most of it is citrus, but we do harvest a lot more than citrus. And right now it is citrus season in Tucson. I brought back about 20 pounds of lemons in my suitcase. Um, <laughs> and last year alone, I think we've, we harvested about 15,000 pounds just of grapefruit. Um, but we can go to the next slide. And it's a lot more than citrus. So we harvest over 20 different varieties of citrus, but we also um, harvest carob pods. Um, that's a pretty unusual thing, but we, we have it ground up, um, milled into flour, and then you can use that in smoothies. It has a lot of protein and different nutrients. It thickens smoothies, so a lot of people use that in their mornings. Um, and we've also been incorporating it into baking. Um, we harvest tomatoes and apples, um, pomegranates, figs, uh, just a really, really wide variety of um, fruits and vegetables, and we do harvest year-round. So we can go to the next slide. Um, another um, big part of our work is trying to reduce food waste. So I mentioned at the very beginning that people noticed that the food was, uh, fruit was falling to the ground, and that's a big problem that we have in Tucson. Um, one grapefruit tree might produce six or seven hundred pounds of grapefruit, and that's not—that's more than one family can eat, or even one um, grouping of houses can eat. So, um, we we try to decrease that amount of food waste, and one way that we just did that was through the pumpkins. So, um, every October, billions of pounds of pumpkins are produced in the U.S. But after Halloween, most of us are no longer interested in pumpkins, but the fields are usually still full of them. And pumpkins are a really nutritious and long-lasting food resource, and they're a resource that a lot of refugees utilize. So on the day after Halloween, we went out to the pumpkin fields um, near Tucson and harvested, oh gosh, several thousand pounds of pumpkins. And we were only limited by the amount of space that we had in the trucks and in the van, back of the van um, to bring those pumpkins back. And we don't use just the pumpkins, but refugees often also use the, the leaves and the sprouts. Um, so they don't use just the pumpkin, but it's using all parts of the plant. So we've been having some food workshops for people to teach us how they use the pumpkin leaves, too, so that we can start utilizing all of the food that we have um, and not just part of it. So you can go to the next slide. Um, this is another aspect of food waste. So... Um, we had a, a week-long um, event with a, a, a local school, and we had some students working with us all week. And one event that we did to express to the community the scope of food waste was we had them swim in a pool with grapefruit to illustrate to the community that we are literally swimming in grapefruit. Um, there is so much of it, and there is more on the trees. So it was really kind of a, an opportunity to show the community how much food we have among us and um, that there's really something more that we could be doing with it. So we can go to the next slide. Um, another thing is um, rethinking the, the landscaping foods that we have. So the foods, um, the trees and plants that we're using in landscaping, we could use things that are edible. So in the upper left is a pomelo, and that's really similar to a grapefruit, but it has a much thicker rind. Um, in the upper right are loquats. Um, and those are Japanese plums. And then in the bottom right are, is a pineapple guava, and the flowers are edible. 
And then the bottom left are Seville oranges, and those are sour oranges, and they're all over Tucson, and most people think they're a huge nuisance because they're sour, and why would you want a sour orange? But the Iraqis actually love these, and um, it's their version of a lemon, and they will tell you it is better than a lemon. But you can't get it in the stores, so we harvest those um, with the Iraqis and get them to them, and then we have them teach us how we use it. Um, so we can go to the next slide. And, and these are another thing that the Iraqis love. This is an Iraqi woman, Faiza, down in the right, uh, bottom right-hand corner. And these are dates. Um, date palms grow in Tucson as well. And um, date trees can produce thousands of pounds of dates. And that's a, a great food resource. And we've made um, date vinegar and date syrup with the Iraqi refugees in Tucson. Um, so that's been something really neat, too. And we've gotten a grant to start pollinating the date trees in Tucson because they're male and female trees and they're not next to each other. But we'll be um, pollinating them so that we can use more of those resources. So we can go to the next slide. Um, and finally, something that we've been doing is um, just trying to get people to rethink how we use our food. So those Seville oranges or the Iraqi lemon that I mentioned, and then we have another food called calamandan limes, and they're a cross between a mandarin and a kumquat. So they're these really um, sour little fruits, and they um, grow year-round, and the um, Filipino community uses them a lot. And so we've been trying to get the local restaurants to kind of look at these as lime and lemon alternatives, um, and then they wouldn't have to import limes and lemons and could instead be using these local foods. Um, so that's another big thing that we have been trying to do. And it's the refugees who are really teaching us how to use all of these food resources um, and how to make better use of the um, things that we have in our own community. And another movement that's happening everywhere, really, and especially in Tucson, is the community garden movement. Um, there's a, an apartment complex near us, and the manager um, put in a garden for his residence, and it's just flourishing. And there are all of these um, food resources that are completely foreign to us. And the Bhutanese refugees living there um, are just thrilled with it because it's their opportunity to provide resources to their own community and to teach the Americans about um, food resources that we never knew existed. Um, so we can go on. So. We appreciate your support of our organization. Um, I'm really thankful for the support of this church. Sorry. Um, I've received over $1,000 from your church in, through my advance fund in the United Methodist Church, and I'm really grateful for that support. It's really encouraging to me to have the support of my home community uh, while I'm out in Tucson, and it does make a huge difference. Um, and my organization, Iskashita, is donor-funded work. We're a nonprofit. Um, we don't have a lot of money, and our programs are continued through um, the support of donors and through the support of our communities. Um, but prayer is also a huge um, form of support for us, and we really appreciate your um, prayers and your support. Um, and we can go on. So, thank you. Shukran is thank you in Arabic. Danyabad is um, thank you in Nepali, the language of the Bhutanese refugees. Um, and I just wanted to let you all know that when I was here in June, I was talking about a refugee family that I was trying to meet, um, some relatives of refugees I knew in Tucson. And I did get to go meet my friend's sister, 
who's living in Grand Rapids, and I gave her the tomatoes that her brother harvested, and I brought her children some of my old books, and we had a really special um, meeting, so I just wanted to let you all know that that did happen. Um, and I want to close with a prayer from the Interfaith Council of Peace and Justice from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and this is something that um, really resonates with me, so I hope that it's something that you can appreciate as well. So, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you will live deep in your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice and exploitation of people and the earth so that you will work for justice, equity, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer so you will reach out your hand to comfort them and change their pain into joy. And may God bless you with the foolishness to think that you can make a difference in the world so that you will do the things which others say cannot be done. Amen. <laughs>